know me at all, you know that I hate texting. I do not like it for a number of different reasons. One, I'm not that fast with it. I am amazed at those who do double thumbing, you know, and can just fly through it and, you know, in a few seconds put something out and, and make it a text. That's, I'm not good at that. But there's even another reason, and, and a, a more focused reason why I don't like texting. I am very much a visual learner. I learn by the things that I see. I learn by interacting and not just writing, although that's helpful tactically. Uh, I hear auditorily, but when I see things, uh, particularly, are very helpful for me. And one of the reasons that when I was counseling that um, I, I enjoyed counseling is because what I discovered when I was studying for it was that 80% of communication is nonverbal. 80% of what you understand in a conversation is nonverbal. It's how a person looks, the tone of their voice, the emotion that is evident, the, the intensity that they speak. Well, in a text, you have none of that. I have no idea if the person is being facetious. I got into trouble with somebody the other day because I was texting. I was being facetious, and they didn't realize that. And so it had to kind of work things out because of that. But if they had heard me speak, if they had seen my face, they would have known. Well, in order to cover the fact that texting is just the text... We've come up with a whole system of hieroglyphs. We know them as emojis. I don't like emojis. They're inaccurate. There's not enough of them. And they don't have any sound to them. Just faces and hands and objects. And it's like, I don't know what that means. But it's a way to try to communicate the nonverbal through a text. I learned the hard way that there's another way you communicate through texting, and that is using all caps. You text somebody and you inadvertently create all caps, and what are they going to say to you? Why are you shouting at me? I am? I didn't know that. All caps become a way of emphasizing or trying to put some emotion into the text. It doesn't work. But that idea of all caps is important for the series that we are beginning. Because when you see it, it's going to be this. This is the theme of the, of the series. It's all about you. And when you read it, the you will attempt to be or try to be all capital letters. Now, what we're not trying to do is this. It's all about you. That's not what it means. And in fact, when we use those all caps, we're not trying to emulate what you do in a text. Rather, what we're trying to emulate is what the Old and New Testament does 
when they use all caps. If you read through the Old Testament and you read through the New Testament, every so often you'll come across the word Lord. Sometimes it's spelled capital L, small o, r, and d, and usually that's a translation of the word Adonai. The fact that God is God. But sometimes when you're reading through, you'll see the word Lord spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When that happens, it's the word Yahweh. It's the formal name of God. And the writer wants us to understand this is speaking about God, the God we worship, the triune God of the New Testament, the solitary God of the New Testament that now we understand to be triune. It's speaking about God. And so when you see in the the brochures or you see in the bulletin or you see in the series title or you see any of that, when you see the phrase, it's all about you, what we are saying is simply this. It's all about God. When you come to understand worship, the most important thing that you need to hear this morning, and you'll hear it over and over and over again, and the thing you need to hear over the next seven weeks as we are involved in discussing worship is that worship is about God. It's not about all y'all. It's not about you. Worship is all about There's a lot of writing about worship. There are a lot of books about worship. There are a lot of articles about worship. And many of them speak about how to do worship, how to create a service that is meant to worship God, or how to sing songs in a way that worship God, or how to put things into a service or into our lives. We, we speak about the fact that our mission statement is to live a life of worship together. But too often in all of the writings, there is a misfocus. I won't mention the songs because some of you probably like them. But there are some songs that come on the Christian radio station that I immediately change the channel. And the reason is because they're worship songs, not about God. But the focus is on what I feel, what I experience, what it does for me. That's not worship. Worship is all about God. Now, God may use, choose to use our worship to encourage us, to lift us up, to bless us, to, to, to motivate us. But that's up to him. When I come to worship, when I am worshiping God, 
when I choose that time individually or as a family or we come together corporately or we do it throughout all of eternity. Worship is about God. Worship is from God, by God, and for God. As we move through this whole series on worship, the seven messages that we're going to speak on it, that will be the focus over and over again. That worship is from God, by God, and to God. Now, with that in mind, we understand this, that worship is all about God. Have you heard that? Worship is all about God. And in understanding that, we need to understand this. Worship is, a unique, is unique from all other forms of spiritual expression. Worship is unique because worship alone is God-centered, God-focused. And that alone. Now we can talk about other kinds of expressions, of of spiritual expressions. And when you think about them, they're multi-focused. We can talk about singing. Singing, when we're involved in singing, it may be an act of worship. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But singing can also be multi-focused. I can legitimately turn on a Christian radio station. I can't wait to Christmas, to Advent, because when Advent comes, I pull out my Handel's Messiah, and I start listening to it. And by the way, my favorite part of it is not the Hallelujah Chorus. Eh, That's okay. My favorite part of it is the amen at the end. The affirmation of all that God is doing. And you know why I listen to it? I listen to it to be encouraged. I listen to it to be uplifted. I listen to it to be reminded. And there's a sort of self-focus, which is okay. And then every so often, As I'm listening to it, it becomes an act of worship. There are other things like that. Fellowship is a form of spiritual expression. And that's a mutual aspect to our interaction spiritually. The phrase that is used over and over and over again in the New Testament is alelon, one another. We're called to one anothering. And there is a mutuality to that. As I seek to take what God has given me in my life and pour it into yours, and you seek to take what God has given you and pour it into my life, there is sort of that multi-focus. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. When we read God's scripture, there's a multi-focus to it. I am reading it to learn more about God. I am reading it to learn what it means to walk a life and to live a life and to walk in a way that is worthy of my calling, that is God-honoring. 
I read God's word to understand what my life is to be like and what my thinking is to be like and what God is like. And every so often, it becomes an act of worship. You can look at all the things we do in terms of our spiritual experiences and expression. And all of them have that multi-focus to them. Except worship. Worship is only about God. Worship is meant to express the reality of who God is and the greatness of who he is. You see, we're going to define worship, and you'll find this in your bulletin, and I'll probably keep it in every week that we do this. This is what we mean by worship. Worship is our God-honoring, spirit-empowered expressions through both word and deed of the inward response of our hearts, minds, and will to an encounter with God in response to his self-revelation. Now, there are three parts to that definition that are absolutely essential. And without every part of it, it is not worship. Beginning backwards, the first is that worship involves an encounter with God as a result of his self-revelation. Worship is worship because I've come to understand, I've come to experience, I've come to see, I've come to a reality about God. I read his word, I hear a song, I hear a message. I, I, something happens in my life where God reveals himself. And whenever God reveals himself, there is always a response. Now I may choose to reject it. But when God moves, something happens. It changes my thinking so that I'm renewed by the changing of my mind. Something happens to my heart, the the immaterial part of man, not just the emotions. That's how we understand it in sort of our Western culture. But the idea of heart is all the immaterial aspects of man. Something happens. I am moved. Maybe I am bro- broken. Maybe I am undone. Maybe I am, I am in wonder and awe. But when I see God, something happens internally. But that's not enough. That's not worship. Worship is one I choose through word or deed to express the greatness of my God that just impacted me because I just experienced. 
when you begin to think about that, then you begin to see that the different parts of what we do in sort of our worship, those different parts are not worship, but they may become a means of worship. When we look and we look at prayer, prayer is not worship in and of itself. I may be praying for me. I may be praying for you. When it becomes an act of worship is when it moves to a place where it becomes a declaration of the greatness of God and becomes a means of worship. When through my prayers, individually or corporately, I'm proclaiming back to God the greatness of who he is, the greatness of what he's done. Prayer is a means of worship. It may or may not be worship, depending upon the motivation and the focus. There are other ways that we express ourselves spiritually. We sing. And singing may just be a feeling of boredom. You know, when you're walking down or doing the dishes and you're going, no, 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 that, I don't like dishes. But no, 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 no. That's not worship. Ah. But when those words and that melody become a means by which we proclaim to God and the others around us the greatness of our God, the wonder of who he is, then it becomes a means, a tool of worship. Giving. When the plate goes by and you give to God or you do it through electronic means, however you give, giving in and of itself is not worship. But when giving is done in a response, in a proclamation of wanting to declare how great God is by giving back just a small portion of what he's given us, then it becomes an act of worship. Preaching is not worship. But it does become, if we allow it, it becomes the means by which we can worship. I've really become convinced that the primary purpose for a sermon on Sunday morning is not so much telling us how to live our life, though it does that at times. It's not so much telling us you know, how to be good husbands and good wives and good kids and good parents, and that's part of it. The primary purpose of a, pre- a sermon on Sunday morning is to tell me how great my God is. And though I may walk out saying, boy, I can be a better husband, a better father, a better whatever, primarily I walk out saying, boy, I've got a phenomenal Look how awesome my God is. 
Testimonies are the same thing. Gene's going to talk out of the Psalms about how the Psalms teach us how to proclaim the greatness of God. We do that when after hearing our testimony, someone says, wow, what a great God. And then it becomes a tool for worship. Worship isn't doing those things in and of itself. Worship is when those activities express to one another and to God his greatness, his awesomeness, the the wonder and, and overwhelming nature of who God is and what he's done. When we come on a Sunday morning, this is my opportunity to join my voice with others, to proclaim back to God just how amazing he is. When I pray as an act of worship. Now, the other kinds of prayers are okay. Supplications and and things like that are fine. But when prayer becomes an act of worship is when it is proclaiming back to God and in public prayer to others the greatness and wonder of my God. Preaching Sure, we need to make it applicable to today. Spurgeon said that when you preach, you have the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Okay, a website now. But in order to lead us to worship, it needs to proclaim the greatness of our God. In four weeks from now, or five weeks, I don't remember exactly, We're going to talk about preparation for worship. To come in here or that one-on-one time or the time as a family. When my focus is upon God and I take this time to proclaim back back to him and before others in my words and in my deeds, the greatness of my God. That's what worship is all about. It's all about God. And of all the expressions of our spiritual life, worship is uniquely so. Because worship is from God, by God, and to God. And that's the second aspect of this. You see, it's all about God. And so God is the beginning of worship by means of his self-revelation. Where does the the source, where does the material, where does the the knowledge, the understanding, the the moving of my heart and my, my mind and my will 
Where does that come from? It comes from God and only from God. Everything we know about God is because God chose to reveal it to us. God is transcendent. God is outside of creation. God has no need for us. God doesn't need our worship. In fact, one of the greatest things about Christianity is it proclaims that God is outside of creation, apart from any other pagan religion, which says that God is a part of this creation. And so for us to even know anything about God, he had to reveal it. And he revealed it in a number of different ways. He revealed it by choosing to be imminent, choosing to be connected with his creation, choosing to reveal himself with, to his creation, choosing to be involved with his creation. And ultimately, the high point of that creation was humanity. And so God says, I want you to know who I am. And so he has revealed himself to us. First, he revealed himself to us just by creation. The heavens declare what? The glory of God. Paul said, in creation itself, we see the power and we see the wisdom of God. We see his grace. But God doesn't only reveal himself in creation. The greatest revelation of God was his son. John chapter 1 and verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God except God, the one and only, meaning Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he made him known to us. How do we know what God is like as a person? Well, a little bit through creation and what he created, but even more, is because God, this transcendent being who existed in eternity past, who related unto himself and is complete in and of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, chose to interact with us. And in his Son, we know what he's like. The disciples cried out in the upper room, Jesus, show us the Father. And what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what kind of person God is? He revealed himself in Jesus. Who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be held on to for his own purposes. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And he submitted himself to death, even the death on the cross. God revealed his person. 
But then God revealed how to understand all of it through his word. God says, you want to know what pleases me? You want to know what worship is to be like? You want to know what kind of worship is pleasing to me and and lifts me up and proclaims my greatness? Read the word. You want to know how to live? Read the word. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we, meaning those who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Not only are the words themselves inspired by God, but the way we choose to understand it and the way we are able, let me put it that way, to understand it is because of this work of God's Spirit in our lives that opens up our eyes. That we may understand what God has freely given us. That is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Worship begins with God, is from God, The only way we can worship him is to take what he has revealed about himself and allow it to impact our lives. But not only that, but the passage tends to move us towards another direction. And that is this. God is the enabler of worship through his indwelling Holy Spirit. It's the spirit that stirs up our hearts. It's the spirit that stirs our minds. It's the spirit that directs our will. It's the spirit that takes what we do on a Sunday morning in our songs and in our prayers and in our declarations and in our sermons and in all of that, our testimonies. And he takes that and he allows it to impact our lives and to begin to express to God the greatness of who he is. There's a passage that speaks of that, but we don't think of it very often. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 18 through 20. And this is the, the New English Translation version because I think they handled it well. Where Paul writes, be filled by the Spirit. That's the imperative. That's the main verb. And what he's saying is, all y'all, plural, Be filled with the Spirit. And what does it result in? That's the participle. The idea is, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs and making music in your heart. Notice, not to one another, Not so that people can think, wow, what a great voice. We're doing it all to the Lord. For him. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main ways that we worship is through thanksgiving. But we can't worship unless God's Spirit is working within us. 
That's why preparation for worship is so important. Because when we walk in those doors, we need to find a way to set aside the things that are so overwhelming in our lives and to say, I want to take this time to focus on God. I want to take this time to to proclaim his greatness, his wonder, to demonstrate it in how I act and how I sing. It's why we talk about living a life of worship. Eric will talk about that. Pastor Eric. But we allow the Spirit to work in our lives to bring about the ability to truly worship God. In Acts chapter 4, I think it is, when Peter is arrested and he's in jail and he's left loose and he goes back and it says that they were praying and that when they realized what God was doing, they celebrated and rejoiced. And what's so interesting is they, they acted in boldness. Why? Because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot worship properly unless God is working in and through our worship. Take time. And being filled with the Holy Spirit simply just means being submissive to Him. To being receptive to Him. And we don't do a lot about preparing before the service. I learned long ago in a fellowship-oriented church, that's impossible. But maybe I need to do it at home before I come. Unless you have kids, then that becomes impossible. Maybe I need to do it through those first choruses. Maybe we need to take some time of silence in our services. To say, Lord, make this time about you. Allow your spirit to move and direct me. But then finally, God is the sole focus of our worship. For he alone is God. Worship is not about whether you are blessed. It's about whether he is blessed. Worship is not about whether you are pleased. It's whether he is pleased. Worship is not about whether I have the spiritual buzz. It's whether my buzz was from and to and about the Spirit. I'm not sure which preacher this was, and I'm not going to use the name. I think I know, but I don't know for sure. But it's someone that's been writing a lot on worship. And in his church, someone came up to him and said, I want you to know, Pastor, I didn't get anything out of that worship service this morning. The pastor looked at him and said, well, that's not a problem. We weren't worshiping you anyway. We come here to proclaim God's greatness. And there is much opportunity to do that. Jesus says the only one, I mean, I'm sorry, Nehemiah says the only one to be worshipped is God. And that's because 
He alone is the Lord. Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. There's the declaration of blessing God, of proclaiming his greatness. And may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitude of heaven, all of creation. is meant to proclaim the greatness and awesomeness of God. We want us all to understand worship. And so this morning, we're going to do an affirmation. An affirmation that I hope you will take. It's in your bulletin. We're going to do it each week as we get ready. But it's an affirmation that reminds us what worship is all about. Here's the affirmation. I'll read it through. During my times of worship, my primary aim will be to please my Father. I will seek to set aside the concerns of my life and focus upon the demonstration of his greatness. Worship is not about whether I am blessed, but whether he is. Through his spirit, I seek to make my worship a sacrifice of praise to him. And we will unpack that in six more weeks. But say it with me. Read it with me. During this time of worship, my primary aim will be to please my Father. I will seek to set aside the concerns of my life and focus upon the demonstration of His greatness. Worship is not about whether I am blessed, but whether He is. Through his spirit, I seek to make my worship a sacrifice of praise to you. Think about that before we come together next week. And let's see what God does in our worship to proclaim his greatness and his glory. Father, thank you for what we learn about worship. And may we be those but live it out in all that we do to your honor, to your glory, and in a desire to praise you. And we ask it in the name of the one who made it all possible, your son Jesus. Amen.